As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. show and our latest weekend review yes on a weekend of huge games man city's title campaign started to go up in flames at old trafford pep side was second best even if the offside law worked at united's behest perhaps the greatest source of intrigue though is that erling harland is now the second best norwegian in the league yes martin odegaard helped bring the gunners eight points clear at the top in a derby where hugo Lloris decided to let his standards drop but for now we must utter the sentence spurs fans dread yes for the time being North London is red. And on a weekend where Gerard Piquet drove a Twingo, not an Audi, his former club had some good fortunes in Saudi. The Blaugrana won the Classico and will hold their heads up with the appropriate level of pride for a mid-season Saudi Arabian Super Cup. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who hasn't been signed by Chelsea in this window, but he can play as an attacker, so it's pretty inevitable at some point. (laughs) Taylor Rockwell, hello. Hello. Uh, I, I can play as a number nine, which means they won't sign me. But if I say I can play as a wide attacker, they will definitely sign me because they definitely need many more of those. They only have about 20. They're tapping you up, aren't they? <laughs> right now. I'm getting a message. Uh, Ryan was interested in having coffee, so they have offered to buy me all the coffee in the world is Chelsea's <laughs> counteroffer. Yes, you now own a coffee plantation. Congratulations, Taylor. Also joining us, Taylor, a man who's never kicked a penalty attempt against his own standing foot. Joe Lowry, is this true? Uh, Yeah, I've done a lot of silly things on the soccer field. I've whiffed. I've done a lot of stuff, but I don't think I've ever kicked my own foot. This is this happened this weekend. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan. This actually happened this weekend and I didn't do it. Monday's already starting off well for me. Yeah, uh, it didn't start off so well on the weekend for Alexandra Mitrovic, who, as I uh, alluded to there, had a penalty ruled out in bizarre fashion for kicking the ball against his own standing foot. A professional soccer player who's paid many thousands to play soccer week in, week out, kick the ball against his own foot Mm. from the penalty 
spot. Good times. Quite, quite the feat to get. Uh, sorry, Ryan. Quite the feat to get zero expected goals from a penalty kick. I'm not yeah. sure that's ever happened before. <laughs> mm. It was the it was the slight celebration of I got away with this. I'm going to run away <laughs> celebrating. That was my favourite part of the whole ordeal. We'll get to that later and much more. Rounding out a pack, a man you just heard his voice. He is as welcome here as apparently Kevin Spacey is welcome at Torino. Oh dear, Graham Ruffin, Hello. Oh wow. I'm hoping I'm uh, I'm a little bit more welcome on this show in terms of how Twitter reacted to that invite. Uh, yeah, not not a great look, Torino, to have Kevin Spacey at your match or to basically contact Kevin Spacey in, in any, any form. Anyway, I did enjoy the PK reference in your intro, Ryan. It's, it's inevitable if there's some soccer soap opera drama, Ryan Bailey will be into it in, in, in some way. You've been following uh, yeah. that one? <laughs> I'm not necessarily taking sides in that whole drama. Uh, not necessarily my cup of tea, but I did appreciate Gerard Piquet actually driving a Twingo, having had it referenced in that song. Mm. That was What is that a Twingo? A I, Twingo I, is... Am I wrong car. here? Because that sounds like a made-up thing. So, Taylor, you get a compact car, mm-hmm. and then you halve it again, and then make it for, like, $3,000, and that's a Twingo. Are yeah. they... Very popular in France. Yeah. Is it, like, a smart car? Like, are they more efficient, yes. or is it just yeah. a teeny tiny car? teeny tiny car you can get an electric one they no longer sell it in the uk but they do sell it here in italia and so, it is it is not a ferrari so in a way she like accused him of switching from an extravagant car to an efficient car yeah and yeah. i think All in right. relation to his uh it to his um uh, his love life status mm-hmm. yeah that i, I understand it's just like i, I feel like you got to find a better like crappier car to go with there or are they really bad are they not good quality at all they're not great. Okay. Um, All right. Yeah, now, the Reynolds. now I'm back I've, in on the spur. I've driven one of those and something called a Volkswagen Up, which feels like you're driving around in a matchbox <laughs> that's about to fall, uh, fall apart at any given point. No, uh, I mean, I hope they're not a sponsor this week, but hey. <laughs> I, I don't know why I find the concept of a car being called a Volkswagen Up hilarious, but I absolutely do. Mm. Uh, thanks for that, Volkswagen. Thanks Dan, not Dan, for the bus that you still haven't released, though. Dan Byrne drives a smart car. Did anyone see a picture of that? It's like the guy in The Simpsons, the giant guy in the tiny little. <laughs> Is there something amusing to you about my appearance in my automobile? Yeah, that's Dan Byrne turning up to St. James's Park. Joe, how you doing? I'm just still <laughs> shook that you were trying to say a Twingo was a better and more desirable car than a Ferrari. Like, I've never heard that take <laughs> well, on Joe, Shakira's no, song yet, and, and I respect you for being the first. No, it's just more, more of a, like, I, I don't know the car well enough. So to go from, like, you drove this... Like gas gas guzzling monstrosity that has zero clearance to like an energy efficient car that's probably better for the environment. It's like, well, is that a burn? Is that yeah. a, is that a dig? But I understand where it's coming from overall. You're officially remember, a Taylor. Um, with a Twingo, you have to pay a lot less tax as well. Mm. Now, I don't know what we're doing now. I don't know where we're mm. going with this. It is more energy efficient when you're not entirely sure you'll get to your destination. So I'll give you that. <laughs> On that note, let's try and get to our destination of this here podcast and do some weekend <laughs> reviewing. Plenty to talk about this weekend, of course. Before we get there, though, patreon.com. Uh, if you're not there already, patreon.com slash Show. Head over there. It's a lot of fun. There's bonus podcasts. There's video content. There's access to our Discord, where it is jumping, jumping. Is that Ooh. cool enough for you, Joe? Am I down with the kids enough to say that? Um, Yeah, yeah, good. Thanks. Good, very, very good. The Discord is... Is as Ryan Bailey says, jumping, jumping. Uh, we've got a whole team of moderators in there doing some really great stuff. So thank you to all of them. Thank you to everybody who's already uh, a patron of ours. We really appreciate it. And the Discord is super fun. Like good commentary as you're watching these games. Good chat about transfers. Good chat about food and scran and kits and all that good stuff. So it's been a blast. 
Guys, oh, quick quick update from me. You yeah. went from a Ferrari to a Pontiac Aztec. There we go. Now I'm on board for that being a burn. <laughs> is that the Breaking Bad cop? Yes, it is. Yes, it okay. is. Where you back into something and the bumpers uh, behind, like the backup door, or, like the rear door. So you hit the rear door before you use your bumper. It works really well. It's a great car. All right. That's enough uh, advertising slash slating car brands for one episode. Let's Fine. move on to the soccer, shall we? Let's go to Manchester. Manchester United 2, Manchester City 1, Bruno and Rashford getting second half goals here, cancelling out the also second half goal from substitute Jack Grealish. United, Taylor, lost the last two derbies, 6-3 and 4-1. They turned the tide here against my expectations, against many people's expectations. And talking about expectations, Pep Guardiola with the quote of the weekend... (laughs) I don't care about the Premier League and the Carabao <laughs> Cup. We cannot win. It doesn't matter. We've won a lot already. It's time for another club to win, which is a very democratic. I told you it does this. <laughs> you, so I may have missed this, Grant. What what is your theory about Pep's all or nothing mentality? So when when things get a little bit rough for Pep mm-hmm. Guardiola, he goes to the complete extreme, or at or or the other way. He when things are good, he'll say this player is the greatest player in the world, and this is the best things have ever been. It, there's nothing in between it. He only deals in extremes. So this mm-hmm. completely feeds into my theory on that. He's an emotional fella. He is. Uh, it was a, a, a wild game when City went up one nil. I, as a Man United fan, w- was. Sad, but like not surprised, but it felt like United's game plan had been working. Uh, they certainly weren't dominating possession, but I think that was part of the plan was to kind of frustrate, not let City play through the middle, not give them any clear-cut opportunities. I don't think they had a shot on target in the first half. I might be wrong on that one, but I think the, the game plan was working, and then that goal happened, and it did sort of feel like, okay, I kind of have seen this story before, and so that United are able to get back into it, maybe with a little bit of help, uh, and then get that result. And you could see, I have watched many, many videos of the celebrations, the way the players celebrated that was a very happy moment for me as a Man United fan, I'm sure for many other fans, just to see how many how many of the players truly, really cared, truly, really wanted to win that game, how connected they were with the crowd. It's not a thing we've seen at Old Trafford many times recently. So thumbs up to Man United there. I forgot to say this is a thumbs up, thumbs down format yeah. at the start. I'm doing some uh, admin on the fly here. <laughs> um, Joe... You asked me not to mention this to you, but I'm going to come straight to you for comment <laughs> on this. Good. Uh, Marcus Rashford's Thank goal. Um, <laughs> sorry, Joe. He totally did. A lot of controversy about this one, obviously, with the, the offside. The Fernandez goal, you mean? Excuse me. The Bruno, Bruno Fernandez goal, you're quite right. Less, less controversy about Marcus Rashford's goal, but the Bruno Fernandez oh. goal, the equaliser. Um, I. I mean, the general consensus is here, yeah. yes, it's the law, but the law is wrong. Yep. Uh, would you go along with that? Because I, I think it really bothers me, this kind of thing, because as many crusty old pundits have said, it shows that the people who make the rules are out of touch with the game a little bit, because City's defence is clearly setting up for the fact that Marcus Rashford is right there in the middle. Like Kanji, if, if if you take Marcus Rashford out of that player, Kanji's doing something different. Edison's right. doing something different. I don't know about that. I'd, How I'd are they not? Edison is coming towards Marcus Rashford. Akanji is, he could close down the ball if Marcus Rashford is not there, I believe. Well, I, I, I agree in principle, yes, that the, the goal should be disallowed and that Rashford interferes in the play. But where I can see the other side of the argument is that when you actually watch the play unfold, and this is where I probably do disagree with you, Ryan, when you watch that play unfold and relate it to the wording of the law, which says a player must clearly, that's in that word is in the, 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 the law, it's in the, in the words mm-hmm. there, clearly interfere with play, for the goal to be disallowed. I'm, I'm not totally convinced that in terms of the defence, 
that Rashford's presence changes much. Now, this is not me arguing that the goal should be allowed. I'm I'm saying it's not as clear as a lot of people maybe make out, or at least in my opinion, it's it's not. Um, Everyone knows in 2023, in the age of VR, that you you play the full play. And yes, the City defence hesitates for a moment, but you know that flag isn't going straight up away like it used to. So they they shouldn't be stopping for one. Where I find it difficult is, yes, Ederson kind of trying to second guess whether he's coming off his line if Rashford isn't there. But again, that's that's difficult for the officials to try and guess whether Ederson's coming off his line. About 10 minutes earlier, or not 10 minutes earlier, in the first half, he'd come 30 yards off his line to try and intercept a, a ball over the top from Marcus Rashford. So this is this is a goalkeeper who, who does that regularly. Match of the day had a good angle where they were able to isolate where Ederson was looking when the, bot, when the, when the shot was taken. And he is looking at... Rashford when the shot is taken that's where I think the argument is the strong is the strongest when you can isolate that but I'm not aware of that view being given to the officials during the game and it's a lot of analysis to work out whether something clearly interferes with the play so I'm not arguing that it should have stood I probably would have disallowed it but this I think there's been a lot of hand-wringing and peril clutching over what is being painted as the worst refereeing decision of all time and I, I I'm just not there with with that it's also just hard to write the rules, right? I mean, like, like this situation doesn't happen a lot. That's why we're talking about it, is this exact situation where there's an offside player rushing onto the ball. He leaves it for an onside player. The goalkeeper is, is potentially or potentially not distracted by the player who, in the offside position when the ball was played. Like, this, this in, in this exact sequence of events doesn't happen all of the time. I'm not saying that players in offside positions don't interfere with the play. That does happen fairly, fairly regularly, but... If you're writing down these rules, it's not easy to plan for every possible situation. So I'm sympathetic to the laws. I'm sympathetic to the ref. I mean, it's just a a difficult situation. And the fact that there is this much discourse around it does say something about how rare this is. One other beat, I don't know if if Taylor or Ryan or Graham want to say more about the refereeing decision. I I do not, as Taylor alluded to earlier. (laughs) I want to say, like, credit to Manchester United. Whether this goal goes in or not, whether they lose 1-0, whether City come back to score another goal in this game, they they win 2-0 and it's done and the narrative is completely shifted, I do want to give my thumbs up to Manchester United for not being a bad team anymore. Because I, I do firmly believe that they are pretty much out of their years of disaster and of despair at this point. That that take is not based on this result. It's not based on, on this game or any of those things. It is based off of what we've seen from them this season. They have fully rebounded from the two losses they had to Brentford and Brighton to start the year where they looked like a team that was in absolute shambles. They played a good game in this game. They had a smart game plan, man marking some through midfield, pressing high up the field in a much more coordinated fashion than they did in that, what, 6-3? Ryan is what you said earlier, or Taylor, that was you earlier this season. I mean, it was night and day from that moment to this one. If they lost, they lost, right? And you lose games in soccer. The variance is super high. Man City is an incredible team with more talent and probably still a better coach than you have, Manchester United. But all of those things together, the good game, the good execution, the game plan, good players on the field – you add those things in, into a nice little pot, you stir it up, and that is like what makes a good team. Mm-hmm. You guys yeah, do th- this was probably the Sir. best <laughs> off-the-ball performance that I've seen from Minuted under Ten Hag. That there were moments of high pressing, which then uh, forced City to play into the wide areas or, or lose the second ball in the middle, but there were also traps when United would push higher, when Aki received the, the ball, or, or yeah. they would bunch up when the, the ball went into Rodri and Martial would kind of drop back to help out Ericsson close down. And, and there was a strong... 
man-marking element to United's performance because, um, as I say, Ericsson was on Rodri to make sure that the City weren't able to build up from deep. Then you had Fred following De Bruyne to prevent him from, from having any time in the ball. And obviously, that is easier said than done. And De Bruyne still manages to pull out a, a brilliant assist in, in, in this game to put City ahead. But then you had Rashford and Fernandes helping out in the wide areas when, when City got it forward and Haaland was completely isolated. So... City test you in so many ways when they have possession that for United to shut them down as as effectively as they did in this match was was really, really impressive. And Joe, I completely agree that the contrast between this and some of the other United performances we've seen, not just that first derby, but going back to, uh, first derby this season, I should say, but going back to the performances of, under Ralph Ranić and then yep. when things were falling apart under Solskjaer as, way, uh, as well, it's just such a dramatic improvement from from that point. There's been whispers, Taylor, not that quiet of whispers, mm. of Manchester United now being title contenders. Do you let, buy into that? Let's take it easy. <laughs> let, let's just let's <laughs> uh, let's have some some perspective here. No, I don't. I don't think. I mean, I think the only reason why that narrative I think has any like interest to me is just because the, it's United beating City this weekend, combined with Liverpool looking bad against yeah. Brighton, really, really bad. Um, and so maybe right there it's because United beat City, Liverpool are, are struggling. Maybe this is the opportunity. But I just still think City have so much talent, so much depth. Um, this was the game that Pep said, what, going into it, that he had some crazy ideas for how to beat Manchester United. I don't think we saw many of those crazy ideas on display. But we know uh, Pep can on occasion overthink or just get some things wrong. I do think he got some things wrong in this one. I don't think they used Holland particularly well or at mm. all. Um and so I still think, though, this is a setback for them. And though Pep is, I guess, over the Premier League at this point, I still would have them as the <laughs> favorites. Uh, maybe it's United in second. Maybe it's Newcastle challenging them. Who knows? But uh, I, I think there are still some pretty glaring deficiencies in this Manchester United team. Or if not glaring, then just some vulnerabilities that either need to be further developed or further strengthened. Yeah. But either way, I don't think they have the the depth and the overall talent to okay. make that run that they would need to make. They they still need a striker. This this yeah. match was good. This performance Oops. was good, good, but I still came away from it <laughs> thinking that's such a clear deficiency and their next priority mm. in the transfer market should be a, a number nine. And there was a point midway through the, the first half when a pass was played in behind. Akanji then plays it back to Ederson. It's it's a bouncing ball, a, 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 you know, a pretty awkward one. And Martial just didn't pressure at all. And yeah. look, maybe there was a, an injury factor there because he comes off at half time. But Ericsson like throws out his arms, and and I'm pretty sure he was at that point having having a go at Martial. So yeah. I agree, Taylor. Title challenge feels that sort of chat feels a little bit premature the only thing that makes me hesitate slightly is we are much earlier in the season than we normally would be for mid-January there's still half a season to go so if United have progressed this far in half a season my mind then yeah. goes to well how how where will they be in another half a season's time and, and it also feels like this season maybe you're not needing needing to get 100 points to win the title like it has been for the last three or four seasons with City or Liverpool I know Arsenal have been very good so there is there is a there's a slim yeah. chance there, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, no, I think I think that that's those are all very good points, Graham. I I think for me again, speaking as a United fan, I always want to like own that bias ahead of time. I think just seeing the collective buy-in, seeing little moments like Fred putting in that double tackle and and the whole stadium sort of uh, backing that and being excited about that, seeing Casemiro and Fred go into the stands after Rashford scores uh, the eventual winner. 
there there is just such such more of a collective spirit, a a, a sense of unity and identity in that team that hasn't existed. I really do think uh, the departure of Cristiano Ronaldo is a huge part of that, and the way Ten Hag has sort of made this his team, gotten his tactics right, gotten people to buy into those tactics, brought through young players, Garnacho with the assist there, and he continues to look like a pretty uh, potentially special player for Manchester United, and if not special, then just pretty good. Uh, I I think there are lots of things to like about this team. It has me excited right up until they sell to some ownership group of nefarious uh, uh, monetary influence, and then we'll see where we go from there. Will you be stopping by the Davos store this week, <laughs> Taylor, for a browse of that? No, man, they are they are for for a club that's like ah, oh, you know, we're not really sure if we want to sell. They are really putting themselves out there as being for sale. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy, it just feel quite a move, Taylor. I don't know, like going from someone like Ronaldo as a forward who comes with all his baggage and his many millions and his demands and his walking off uh, the bench, etc., to Wout Weghorst. The man Probably. with like like dulcet pipes. Uh, yeah. Graham sent us a video of him singing before uh, before we started recording uh, when he was still playing for Wolfsburg, uh, of course. And I was ready for it to be you know like ah it's karaoke. Like the, the dude can sing. Like maybe maybe that's why they brought him in. If nothing else, he's got the double threat. He can he can entertain the crowd <laughs> pre and post matches as, and hopefully score some goals. I did enjoy him bouncing his two children on his knees uh, during during the game. They cut to him a couple times during the game. Uh, I'm excited to see what he will bring. I think he's a very different look and is definitely more of a you know what we got to get a, We got to get a result here. Let's get a guy on who can uh, be bigger than everybody and maybe have some design set pieces as yeah. well. Taylor, I was also expecting him to be terrible. I was expecting it to be like the Michael Sarah scene in Superbad, where he's someone's cousin that can yes. that can yeah. sing really good. These eyes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's what I was expecting. Excellent stuff. Well, uh, one other person we were McLovin in this game was, oh, of course, Marcus Rashford, Joe. We have to give mega thumbs up. I, I think we've mentioned him a little bit, but 16th goal of the season there. His eighth yeah. goal in his last seven games. When's this dude going to stop scoring consecutively in games, I suppose, is my question, Jeff. It doesn't seem any time soon. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen anytime soon. I think you should get full credit for the first goal, so there's that. And the second goal, I think you should also get pretty much full credit for, for Manchester United. So he, he's involved on in multiple levels here, so he gets double thumbs up from me. First level is the hold-up play. I don't think he actually gets ahead on that ball that Akenji's on his back, but he does enough to sort of body Akenji such that that header only goes to, to Fred. I believe it falls to Fred. And then they progress through Bruno Fernandes, and then they break forward. And then the second level is his movement in the box, stays patient, eventually latches on to the ball that Garnacho plays. It's a fantastic goal. It shows how versatile Marcus Rashford can be. And in recent weeks, we've seen Rashford hold up the ball. We've seen him be physical. We've seen him make really sharp moves and runs in the box to score goals. We've seen him dribble in from like the left half space in Bappe style. I talked about that a couple of weeks ago to score goals. He is... I think one of not only my favorite players to watch in the world right now, but he's just flat out one of the best players in the best form in the entire world. And Manchester United are benefiting. They are indeed. Manchester United in fourth place in the Premier League after this one with 38 points. Man City just a point ahead of them in second. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about the other big Premier League derby of this weekend, the North London variety. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's get into it. Tottenham, nothing. Arsenal, two. Graham, this was men against boys. And the boys won. The boys won, didn't they, in this one? Uh, Bizarre Hugo Lloris own goal. Followed by Martin Erdegaard putting one in from distance along the floor. Uh, I was surprised. Graham by this one because I really thought uh, sorry I really thought Tottenham would get a result here because the the North London derby tends to favour home teams the last mm. six have been won by the home team Arsenal had only ever lost at this stadium yep. previously and here we are with Arsenal um, delivering a 2-0 win in this stadium um, some unpleasant scenes at the end we can talk to but why don't we start off with some if you have any thumbs up or thumbs down for this game Graham yeah, so thumbs up to the, the form, book, form book going out the window because you're right, this was Arsenal's first win at Tottenham for nine years, which is which is quite surprising. Um, but you're right, Tottenham traditionally strong at home in this fixture. Not to blow my own horn or anything, but in the Patreon I did have Manchester United winning and uh, Arsenal winning. So thumbs up to nostalgia Dude, because... Well, Graham, Arsenal and mine... um, in my specific predictions post video I put on Patreon, I had the opposite of both. Ah, so there. well... <laughs> sure <laughs> great thumbs up to that I'm great. and thumbs up to nostalgia being back because Arsenal and Man United are apparently good again Avatar is the biggest movie at the box office so the 2000s are back it, it seems but yeah this was this was a a very good performance by Arsenal thumbs up to one of their most impressive performances of the whole season I feel like I've said that at least twice since the the World Cup break but yeah this was a a statement of intent. The first half, in particular, it was it was obvious just how big a difference there is between these these two teams at the moment. Spurs couldn't get anywhere near Arsenal. It was actually quite embarrassing just just how much better Arsenal were in in, in that first half. So I can understand to a certain extent mm. why their fans were unhappy. There was a reaction from Tottenham after half time because, of course, their second half FC, but they just gave themselves far far too much to do. And by the end, Arsenal were back in control again. There were a couple of... I mean, the paradox of this game is that Arsenal felt like they were in control for a good portion of this game, and yet Aaron Ramsdale gets man of the match. So from that point of view, Tottenham did have opportunities. I I don't have the expected goals in front of me, so I'm I'm flying a little bit blind there. But it felt like a controlled performance from from Arsenal. And just another step towards... This is... I am pretty close now to flipping my prediction on who's winning the title. I have to say that this yeah. weekend is is pushing me very close to the brink. I think if Arsenal beat Man United next weekend, I'll probably change my prediction and well, say it Graham, as Arsenal. Graham, view. I'm right there with you, uh, and thumbs down to me for that because uh, earlier when discussing if Man United uh, could win the title, I went to like Man City have more depth. Forgetting that in my notes, I have for this game, the very first note, Arsenal are going to win the title. Uh, I think Arsenal will win it. I think Man City will be second. Uh, Because this game felt like the most definitive Leicester City when they won the title game that I have experienced so far. Ryan, I'm with you. I thought this would be Spurs 
like playing very uh, like the very stodgy defensive game of Antonio Conte. They would make it really difficult. They would be physical. They would frustrate Arsenal. They would get a one 0 win, and it would get Spurs back on track. And then we'd have the questions about Arsenal, and that Arsenal in the end. Like, though there were some moments, I think, made this look pretty comfortable and didn't seem too bothered. They they handled Tottenham. They made Tottenham look sort of outclassed at times. They didn't really seem like they were too under threat uh, for, too, for too many moments. And for me, this is just another example of Arsenal this season. Just keep finding ways to win, even when we think, okay, they're going to drop points at some, at some point. They're going to struggle. They're going to fall out of this one. I really think... This was another kind of statement of intent for Arsenal, and if I'm an Arsenal fan, I would be feeling very optimistic about the way the season is playing out. Well, Joe, on that note of optimism, at the start of the season, it felt like the optimism belonged to Tottenham, didn't it? Yeah. At the start of the season, it felt like this is the Conte season. This is the season where they're really going to challenge top top two potential for this team. What happened? <laughs> uh, Succinctly, I think Joe. we've Tottenham. Tottenham happened. Yeah, Tot- <laughs> Tottenham happened. I think we've seen some truth in comments that Antonio Conte has made about the depth not being there, right? About, you know, you need, what, what do you say, 12 to 15 quality players to build on, and then year after year, you build on that core. I don't think Tottenham has that core. I think injuries have certainly played a part here, so we haven't seen Son on the field every single game. He was dealing with injuries before the World Cup. Was a doubt for the World Cup. We've also seen some of the challenges that come when your best playmaker is also your best goal scorer, right? I saw this floating around on Twitter. I don't remember where it was, and I apologize for that. But that, uh, that was a really interesting thought, I, I think. Unless it's Lionel Messi, basically it's very difficult to have your best playmaker, which is Harry Kane, also be your best goal scorer. It's, you, you can't be in the same place at the same time. Earlier in the first half, Harry Kane is dropping in to receive the ball. He opens up his hips, plays that, that classic Harry Kane pass, long diagonal out wide to the right side, and it's not a great ball. But then you think about if that pass is completed, and we do see Kane complete that pass a bunch, he has like 60 yards to go to get in the box. He is trying to pull all of the strings in the attack. Conte is okay to let him do that. The other pieces that Tottenham have brought in over the last you know X number of transfer windows haven't all come together perfectly. There is talent in this squad, but yeah, I think, I think that combination of factors and surely other things that I'm not hitting on here all contribute to the fact that it, it really has flipped. Like, this is Arsenal's season now. It's not Tottenham's. Tottenham are fighting now to finish inside you know, the Champions League spots, and who knows if that's going to happen. Arsenal are fighting for the title, which is not something that I expected. They're getting uh, thwarted in the transfer market, which has been absolutely hilarious, and maybe we'll talk more about that later this week when we dive <laughs> into transfers, if, if we're planning on doing that. But, I mean, this team is gelling. Right? The team is coming together. Saka's goal is a really nice sequence of possession play from Arsenal. It's also a tough mistake from Hugo Lloris. And that's another thing you can put down as a thumbs down for Tottenham right now is Lloris just botches that moment. He doesn't deflect the ball away from his goal. Now, it does take a deflection. So Saka drives to the end line. He fires a ball across. I don't think it's really supposed to be on goal necessarily. Maybe it is. It doesn't matter. It deflects ever so slightly off of Sessegnon, who I think kind of makes a meal of that whole defensive play, and then comes at Hugo Lloris. Lloris gets his hands on it. They're sort of against his chest in a defensive position. He gets his chest and his hands on it, but his angle's wrong, and it ends up in the back of the net. It's a tough sequence for Tottenham that just feels like the latest in a tough series of sequences for them and really positive ones for Arsenal. Yeah, um, on the goalkeepers, an interesting quote, Taylor, from, well, I'm paraphrasing Gary Neville. Uh, on the Sky broadcast, who said words to the effect of, if you swap the goalkeepers, you swap the scoreline. So I don't know if it's that extreme because there was a clear difference in quality between these two sides, but Aaron Ramsdale had a very good game here and Hugo Lloris did not. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that is accurate uh, on both accounts. I would not agree with Gary Neville, though, uh, because I think there were other uh, larger problems for Tottenham aside from Hugo Lloris. But I do think when you don't 
fully trust your goalkeeper when there are always those moments of indecision or just those moments of uh, comical ineptitude, uh, then you're never really confident in in anything you're doing. And I think that was kind of Spurs in a nutshell this weekend. I think both Tottenham uh, and Liverpool looked slow at times in both of their games. I think Liverpool, for different reasons, but for Tottenham, it just felt like everything was overthought, and maybe there's a little bit of uncertainty. Maybe there's a little bit of doubt about some of the quality in that team from the players themselves, but they just seemed not fully functional, and I think Hugo Lloris is a very good example of that, that even if he looks like a... a potential World Cup winner at times. He also has these moments where he just has ridiculous howlers that make it hard to fully trust him. I, I, I could see them moving on if they didn't have other areas of need that they need to fill that will cost a lot of money as well. Yeah, the, uh, Conte's... I know there's a lot of other factors at, at Spurs at the moment in terms of transfers and the quality of that squad, but I, I also think Conte deserves a lot of criticism for the way that Spurs' season is, is going. The decisions he makes in this match are, quite frankly, baffling, and the decisions he's made all the way through this season. So I said last week in the Patreon preview show that we did, it would be interesting to see what Conte would do with his midfield because that was a clear area where this game was going to be won and lost. And Papi Saris handed his first Premier League start yeah. so, in, in, in midfield. So that's slightly surprising in itself. And I know there's injuries. I think maybe Yves Basuma has, has an injury at the moment. So that is a factor. Benton is not available either. But to set up his team in the way that he did against Arsenal, where it was almost like Conte either ignored or didn't realise that Zinchenko was going to push into the middle of the, of the pitch, as he's been doing all season long. So there were occasions where... It was two versus four in the middle of the pitch. And that also allowed Arsenal to just um, create the space for Saka to isolate Sessegnon. And that was an issue. And it, looking at that Spurs team where they have three in attack of Son, Son Kane and Kulisevsky and no way to link their defence to their midfield, to their attack. And then Conte didn't really change anything yeah. for the whole match. I, it feels like he's checked out. It feels like Antonio Conte has 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 checked out, essentially, where we, we said a couple of weeks ago, he's laying the groundwork for him to say, well, you know, they didn't give me the tools. But Spurs are Spurs are better than this. Tottenham are b- better. I mean, this is the yeah. sa- pretty much the same Tottenham team that dismantled Arsenal in, in May last season that ended, remember that game where Arsenal couldn't qualify for the Champions League anymore? That wasn't that long ago. It's not that different in terms of the, the personnel for Spurs. So it's it's very confusing to me. I, I don't really understand what Antonio Conte is doing. Further evidence of that, Graham, and, and a quick one for me, is Sessegnon Joe. I think you're absolutely right to spotlight. Not very good 1v1 defending. That's another one that just felt uncertain, sort of shaky in the moment. Maybe not quite wanted to get closed down, not wanted to get beat. So he kind of stands off and lets Saka do what he wants. But also... Uh, in linking the attack, it felt like Sessegnon was supposed to get forward early and often and push uh, Arsenal back potentially, or at the very least be a sort of uh, a figure that could help in transitions into attack and also track Saka at the same time and make sure that he's not wide open. And the second Arsenal goal is, it's not Sessegnon's fault, but he is doing just that. He is trying to get forward and he is maybe... 20 yards ahead of the ball when the ball is then turned over, and that puts him 40 yards away from Saka, and he has to try to get back, and there's just no way he's going to be able to do that. But then the midfield is also caught out in that moment. They over-pursue, they're pulled out, and now you have five players for Tottenham way out of position and only five people back to defend yeah. eight for Arsenal. It just, you, I think you're absolutely right, Graham, that it felt like Conte just 
decided, no, you know what? This isn't going to work. We're not going to win. Let's see. Let's let the players figure it out. It felt like one of those games when the coach decides, you know what? You all figure it out if you think you can do it better or something. Because it just, there wasn't a lot of cohesion. There wasn't a lot of, oh, this isn't working, so I will change this or make this adjustment to try to limit that. It just, it just seemed like Antonio Conte uh, was maybe just a little bit too frustrated on the day. Uh, the opposite of Mikel Arteta, who was just running around hugging everybody and still had the temerity and strength to pull Granite Shaka away from yeah. the scrum at the end of the game. S- well, saving him from a 10-year suspension. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you or murder charges, depending on how that one played out. <laughs> yeah, the frustration, Taylor, not just confined to the dugouts mm-hmm. at Tottenham. Obviously, the fans are a bit uh, unhappy with things. Many of them streaming out, lots of booing at the stadium. And I'm Pleasant moment at the end, Taylor, with Tottenham, a Tottenham fan yeah. kicking Aaron Ramsdale in a pretty unnecessary sequence of events where Richarlison seemed to be uh, stirring things up a little bit as well. Well, so um, can I say really quickly, if you haven't, if, if people haven't seen the video, uh, I love Aaron Ramsdale, <laughs> like because he was interviewed after the game about this and. Basically, like summarizing, said, ah, you know, I was like, they were they were talking trash to me. I was talking trash to them. It's part of the game. I do think he. I saw somebody else point out Ramsdale and Dean Henderson seem to really enjoy getting into it with opposition fans. Ramsdale said basically, like, fair play to them because they were giving it to me at the end of the game. I gave it back, and they all seemed to take it pretty well. And then just like one person. I think he said gave me a hit in the back. Didn't realize that he had been kicked. Yeah, but I like um, that he didn't take that opportunity to be like classless display i think he just said yeah. like yeah one person ruined it for everybody but otherwise it was a good time like he was very chill about the fact that there had been a near riot in which he had been kicked by a fan yeah obviously you don't really want to see that but there was there was there was a humorous element mm-hmm. to it where arteta clearly knows his players well where ramsdale he's kind of like ah ramsdale's not gonna do it. he's gonna he's gonna give it this and he's gonna wind them up but he's gonna walk away and then arteta spots zaka oh <laughs> oh no i need to run after him yeah that's a different sort of personality Zaka just like drawing on war paint he's like oh no 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 get him away get him away <laughs> yeah uh but obviously not the kind of thing we want to see in a stadium um lots of shouts for a lifetime ban being uh thrown at that particular fan who surely will be identified if he hasn't been already I'm sure it was jay from the in-betweeners it did look like. like a member of the in-betweeners cast uh we shall find out if it was um but maybe we just force him to watch tottenham first halves for a couple of seasons and um, <laughs> that's just as punishing in its own way graham one last last thing for me on this game you mentioned your arsenal title thoughts mm. have changed after this weekend uh, a stat i found own they've only played have arsenal two of the six possible games against other top four teams and haven't won either of them it's a slightly flimsy stat but it, it is to say that they've got yeah. more top four opposition coming yeah, so just to clarify my thoughts, I, th- I think I said I'm on the brink of them changing, and if they beat Manchester United next this weekend, mm-hmm. then I think that will that will be the point that that will change it. But yeah, absolutely, there, there's a long way to go. To repeat what I said earlier in the show, there's half a season to go, which feels weird given that we're in mid-January, but we had a World Cup in the middle of the season, so that's that's the reason why Arsenal have got two games against City, which you you could obviously look at it from the point of view. They could stretch the gap on Manchester City. The other side is City could catch them and win both those games, and and that that's uh, yeah. you know that's obviously a downside. But um, yeah, just the, when you make judgments like this, it's about how a team is playing, and you, City look a little bit frayed at the moment, and Haaland um, just isn't getting involved, and and Arsenal just seem to be going from strength to strength, despite the fact Jesus is is out injured. I think Nketi has done a really good job yeah, coming into that team. So just looking at the performances Arsenal are putting in, they, they are right now the best team in the Premier League. 
Okay, yeah. A couple more thumbs up from me, by the way. Um, in the 25th or 6th minute, Thomas Partey had that volley, which could have been one of the greatest Premier League goals of all time, certainly a North London derby classic. Was it David Bentley who scored that amazing volley back in the day? Yeah. It was better than that. So thumb- I'm not sure how I feel about it, but thumbs up to Thomas Partey for that one. Mm. Um, and also thumbs up to the NBC crew. Because yeah. there was a break in, in the broadcast in the first half around the same time. Um, and it cut back to studio. And the Robbies and Rebecca Lowe got straight into it. And to be doing that in the middle of a half when you're not expecting to broadcast is just superb. They weren't <laughs> flustered at all. Um, we, we've done live shows. We did live shows for Bleach Report during the World Cup. Can you imagine if they said, oh, by the way, you've got to come on back on camera in 10 seconds? Um, it made me think of uh, when you see the behind-the-scenes stuff of the BR crew, and during the game they're eating this like giant meal, and they've got the yeah. napkins in. And I wish they had just cut back to the NBC crew all with like napkins, and they're eating ribs or something. Just like, hi. Uh, so Thomas Partey is looking pretty good. Like, like I, yeah. it's a credit to them that they're that professional to just be ready to go right away. I'm with you, Ryan. Yeah, big thumbs up for that one. If I'd be not eating ribs during the first <laughs> half, which, uh, yeah, <laughs> let's let's do more of that, please, NBC. Thank you very much. Um, why don't we talk about a couple of other Premier League games before we hit a break? Thumbs up to Brighton, surely, Graham, with a 3-0 win over a sorry-looking Liverpool. Solly March with a yeah. brace and Danny Welbeck with a late one in this one. Brighton overtaking Liverpool into seventh place with this go- uh, game. Yeah, as you say, thumbs up to Brighton. I'm not sure if they're a better team than they were under under Graham Potter, but from my perspective, they're certainly a more entertaining team under under Deserve. It feels like he has unleashed them as an a, attacking force. So you still have the principles left behind by Potter. You still have the versatility versatility of the midfield players like Caicedo and McAllister. It's still all there. But then this shift into a 4-2-3-1 is, is doing a, a really good job of getting more out of players like Solly Marsh, who I didn't know he had this sort of goal-scoring form in him. And then Matoma, who we hadn't really seen much of before the World Cup. He is he is a proper player. And it's just getting them into more dangerous areas more often. The runs that um, Marsh was making on, on, on the right side with Alexander-Arnold. Andy Robertson had a difficult time as well against Matoma. And Brighton have scored 18 goals in the five matches they've played since the World Cup break, which is remarkable. Mm. And Liverpool were poor in this game, but I actually think it was more Brighton being good because we've seen this sort of performance from them in, in, in the last few weeks. So I, as I say, I'm not sure if they're a better team than they were under Potter. Let's not revise history there. Brighton, I think, were something like fourth or fifth when he left and they're lower than they were when he left. But a more entertaining team, certainly. Yeah, I, I can't believe how press resistant they are uh joe i hope i'm using that one correctly i look to you we'll uh, find to out correct me afterwards uh <laughs> but just that like in those opening 15 minutes liverpool are on them and and when it goes to the goalkeeper and then out to like the right center back and out to the right back and he's at his own corner flag i kept waiting for like okay now here's the moment when they're just gonna hoof it long and instead they just keep the ball moving they pass through it uh they hit some long switches to wide open players and then they keep it moving and from there Liverpool really just could not get into the game for the first 20 or 25 minutes, which is not a thing I am used to. And every time they would try to press, Brighton backed themselves to keep the ball, to, yeah. to, to pass out of it, to pass out of pressure, and then create overloads and really just cause Liverpool problems. And that's where Klopp afterwards said, uh, when asked about this game, bad, really bad. I can't remember a worse game, not only at Liverpool. I really can't. This is a really low point. Brighton were the better team. It was well-deserved. And I think the, that that is fair. I think he's maybe being a little bit harsh on his squad because it felt to me like Brighton did just sort of pass their way through, back themselves to to kind of take the game to Liverpool. They weren't overwhelmed. 
they, I think, knew exactly what Liverpool were going to try to do and then tried to nullify that, and I think they did. And so for Klopp, I think part of the reason why he came away feeling so frustrated by this performance was that Liverpool seemed to sort of just give up at times and feel like they couldn't really do anything and they weren't nearly as effective. And I think some of the goals show that really clearly, that both of them coming from individual errors, the first one from Matip, just a really needless giveaway. But the second one, Andy Robertson... I know is is speedy. I, I don't think he's like killing Mbappe fast, but I know he's got speed. But he never gets near Saleh March until the end when he over-pursues and gets cut on, which is a move you can see coming, and it's a great finish from March. But just the way Liverpool were just sort of a half second slower than they normally are or have been yep. in seasons past yep. to respond and cover ground and track runs and make plays and win balls, even the third goal coming from a throw-in and, a, and like a hopeful flick-on that Danny Welbeck just juggles into the goal. Uh, it was a, a really, really surprising result for me, and credit to Brighton for it, but concerns for Liverpool, I have to believe. Yeah, yeah, we've credited Brighton, which is good, and, and Taylor, I want to do one more beat on Liverpool and their problems. This team is just a shell of its former mm-hmm. self. You can see that in so many different ways. You can see that in the personnel, right? And really week to week at this point, we're not sure where Cody Gakpo is going to be playing, which which is always going to be a problem, right? So I don't blame Jurgen Klopp for that. That's going to take time to figure out. But the pieces around him have shuffled, shuffled and, and how they're being used have changed from match to match a little bit. And then defensively, which is, I think, the biggest issue for this team right now, they just don't move and shift and press like they used to. Credit to Brighton, Taylor. Like you, you tossed out press resistance. I think that's a great idea in this match. Brighton were very good with the ball. They were press resistant at yes, times. Yes. Liverpool, for, for their part, I mean, they're just not applying the same kinds of pressures and, and the same. And, the, and those pressures aren't as effective as they were before. So the Athletic had a good piece crunching the numbers on this, I believe, over the weekend. And basically, you know, in that piece, it says Liverpool have conceded the most expected goals from counterattacks this season. That's not a Liverpool thing. Liverpool's brand was being good at denying those moments, was being one of the best teams in the league at denying those moments, was using their control to then turn over the ball. You know, they'll lose the ball, then they'll turn it over from the other team, win it back and drive down and create chances. But this year, they're not doing that. They're not winning the ball. They're conceding more than double the amount of expected goals from fast breaks or from counterattacks that they have in, I think, the last three seasons, the last four seasons now. It is like a, a night and day difference. This team is just not the same one that we saw go out and win trophies under Jurgen Klopp. Indeed. Uh, my thumbs are thoroughly neutral for Everton 1, Southampton 2, 19th versus 20th in the Premier League. Uh, some interesting um, news coming out this game before the before it kicked off. The board of directors were ordered not to come to this match. The Everton board of directors at Goodison Park due to a real and credible threat to their safety and security, which is wild for a home game. Uh, there's been some backlash um, some comments that from fans saying it, this was set up to make the board look like victims. They're the second highest paid football board in the UK at one of the worst run clubs in world soccer, saying uh, one fan, for example. Uh, either way, uh, yeah, lots of uh, dis- uh, banners displayed in protest against the board, but very much the team um, being backed and seen mm-hmm. the manager being backed as well, but lots of pressure on Frank Lampard after this one. These two teams... Looking like they might be playing next year in a different division against one another. We shall see if that narrative changes. Um, Thumbs down for the aforementioned Alexander Mitrovic penalty in Newcastle 1, Fulham nil. Newcastle getting a 1-0 win, Taylor, on this one after Alexander Izak's 89th Mm. minute winner. Uh, We can look past the penalty in as much as, um, you know, Mitrovic might be slightly regretful given the final scoreline. 
of how yeah. that went down. I think so, especially because like I-, I knew what happened. I watched the extended highlights of this one, and wa- watching him when he takes the penalty and it goes in, and I knew that it was a missed penalty, so I was very confused as to, like, d- did he leave early? And then credit to the goalkeeper for knowing immediately, no, there's a problem here, there's a problem here, and you watch the replay, and he hits it into his own foot, so he touches it twice. You can't do that. It's an indirect free kick going the other way. And, yeah, I think Fulham will absolutely feel uh saddened by that decision and by that miss because then Newcastle able to get that late winner but thumbs up to Newcastle for getting that result and getting that result despite the injury to Bruno Guimaraes uh, I think it was his ankle uh has a problem with it early in the game tries to play it out and I think comes off right at halftime uh crying in tears so I'm guessing there there's going to be some if not severity then some some longer issues that will maybe keep him out and while we're at it, thumbs up to uh, Longstaff and Joel Linton, who are sort of walking alongside him as he's coming out at halftime. Longstaff, I think, recognizes there's a camera right there filming Bruno Guimaraes crying. And so he steps in front of the two and sort of blocks that camera, not deliberately, but definitely like kind of steps into the foreground so that they can walk behind him and get out of the way. So I like that sort of that gamesmanship, that, that, uh, that good teammate uh, vibe. And I think for Newcastle, those vibes are pretty clear. Credit where credit is due. 14 matches unbeaten, the longest run run in the league, is also not a thing I think we would have said or expected of Newcastle Mm. this season. I feel like their top four credentials are looking pretty strong. Uh, We'll have to wait and see how injured Guimaraes is. I hope not uh, too severe. But overall, I think they are a team that's looking pretty harmonious and pretty solid. I I wouldn't say that I'd forgotten that Alexander Isak signed for Newcastle but every so often I need a reminder and and it's kind of this match him coming does he he doesn't start this match right he comes off the bench because he's had a, he's had injury troubles yeah. um scores the winner and it's the kind of thing that makes me think Newcastle are just going to stick in the top 4 because he has barely got started as a Newcastle player and he is arguably their marquee signing the the, the I think he's a club record fee so if they can get more goals out of him in the second half of the season then um, yeah, I think Newcastle are going to stay in the top four. My prediction is kind of the, the, the top four that we see right now. That's that's how it's going to finish. I don't think it's going to. I don't think it's going to change between now and the end of the season. Bold, very bold, Graham. All right, not All right. really. I think there's like five points between fourth and fifth, so <laughs> <laughs> there's uh, a gap. Final thumbs up for me from the Premier League. Uh, thumbs up to Chelsea with a one 0 win over Crystal Palace, uh, parading Mikhailo Mudrik on the field. They're signing from Shakhtar Donetsk for a potential eighty nine million pounds. Cool. That'll fix everything. Awesome. Great. Problem solved. <laughs> cool. Well done, Chelsea. Thumbs up. Thumbs up to you. Uh, let's take a that, does, that does mean that Christian Pulisic is gone in the summer, right? Like, the, the, they cannot have all of these wide attackers and have it work out in the summer. And with him being out for a few months, it feels like they're sort of already starting to move on. Mm. Yeah. They've, they've given Pulisic's uh, dressing room locker to Mudrik. See, this is I my think. concern. He turned up one day <laughs> and he was like, wait, where did I sit? Oh, you're still here, Christian. Oh, forgot about that. <laughs> that does feel like an actual possibility. Like, you still, we still pay your wages. It's a very Milton from Office Space sort of situation. M- Modric, by the way, I don't know why, but when I hear his name, it just makes me think of Podrick from Game of Thrones. <laughs> is it? Is very it because they sound similar in terms of people? Well, you know, maybe they're both <laughs> pack and eat. Because they sound similar. I love you, Joe. I love yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, that's that was the logic, Joe. Yeah, that okay. was the reason why. Gotcha. Yeah. Just thought I'd help clarify that for you. Quick break when we come back. A big rivalry wins for Barcelona and Napoli to talk about. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. 
Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. In which world do we put a Classico in part three of the Total Soccer Show? The world where it's a Super Cup in Saudi Arabia, is your answer <laughs> there. Uh, Barcelona 3, Real Madrid 1 in this one. It was the four-team tournament format in Riyadh, this one. They did that is it a couple of years they've been doing that. Yep. At least they, they certainly did it last year. Uh, Real Madrid beating Valencia and Barcelona beating Betis to get to this final stage. Xavi's first trophy as Barcelona manager. A comfortable win for Barcelona in the end, Joe. Um, the previous Clasico in the league in October, Real Madrid won 3-1. So they've flipped reverse that scoreline. Barcelona, three points clear in the league, and they've got themselves a lovely cup mid-table, mid-season yeah, sour yeah, super yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Well yeah. done, Barcelona. Yeah, the, the trophy, I think we would all agree, probably doesn't matter a lot. The performance and sort of what this signifies for Barcelona does matter a bit more to me. I mean, they, they were dominant in this game. They were playing with Real Madrid at times. This was another one. You know, I was watching the commentary on ESPN, listening to the commentary, and they were talking about this being boys against men. Ryan, you said that earlier. I was trying to think of where I'd heard that this weekend. It was about this game, and Barcelona very much were the boys in this match, and they very much toyed with Real Madrid. This was, this was the performance that did everything that Xavi wants to do. And I'll go from one shot like vi person to another that was a seamless transition to gavi right gavi and shabby i think both shined in this match <laughs> thumbs up to both of them gavi i think was the best player on the field by a pretty wide margin gets the opening goal in this match really clean touch and finish on the left side of the box to make it one nil gets the assist for the second goal that uh that's Lewandowski's goal that makes it two nil and then has the assist to pedri which is just a perfect ball across the box uh, and that, that makes it Barcelona's third goal in that in that game. He's 18. Guy was 18. He was born in 2004, right? I mean, this kid is five foot eight. He oh. wins almost every aerial duel. He is all over the field. He is like this this uh, you you can't really harness this power. He's everywhere. He's driving in behind the back line. He has so much force for being such a small human being. I, I love watching Gavi. I said in the Discord I was going to do my best to make this show all about Gavi. I don't think I've accomplished that, given that we're in minute 50-something at this point. But he was <laughs> unreal in this game, just as Barcelona was in, in this match. Graham, this is where we fight. I think, for my money, Barcelona are the best team in Europe right now. I'm not really no. even sure how close it is, frankly. I would I like to hear Graham. I, I mean, Graham. to be fair, Graham, they're going to do big things in the Champions League knockout round. Huge. I think that, oh. we can say, really, really strong <laughs> candidates. Sorry, I think you meant. I mean, uh, this Europa was a Conference very good League, performance. What you meant? <laughs> what you meant. Fine, fine, Graham, who, okay, fine. Hold fine. on, don't Graham, don't praise Barcelona because I've I've done that. I want you okay. to. I want you to tell me which teams you're confident are better than Barcelona. I, I know you're gonna have some good shots. Arsenal, here, right? City, Bayern, PSG, um, PSG, Napoli, City just lost this weekend to Manchester. But United, PSG Graham. we should factor that. And in. and Barcelona drew with Betis three days before this match, and drew against Espanyol a week before that match. Lame. 
<laughs> I don't I don't have any arguments here, right? I mean, I could dive into some of the stats that no one's going to care about except for me. I, I'm just going to say, I think this Barcelona team are playing the best soccer. And you're, you can't say Man City are playing better soccer right now than Barcelona. You can't say Arsenal are playing better will. soccer. You, I would say you'd be incorrect about all of those things. It doesn't matter, right? At the end of the day, who the best team in Europe is makes absolutely no difference. They might win the Champions League, whoever the best team is, because it's not going to be Barcelona. They might not, right? The Champions League is still sort of a crapshoot at the end of the day. All I will say is if listeners aren't watching this Barcelona team on a regular basis, you're missing out. Like, this team is playing some of the best soccer, hands down. I think that's where Graham probably would agree with me. They're playing some of the best soccer in the world right now. They are tons of fun. They're doing it with teenagers as their most important players. Thumbs up for me for this entire team. You know, the chaotic way they built it, still the chaotic way they can collapse in games. It's all just a wonderfully entertaining Mm. show. And this, this weekend's game against Real Madrid was another chapter or another scene in that show. What what I will say is a year from now I wouldn't be surprised if Barcelona are the best team in Europe. I'm just I'm just not anywhere yes, really Graham. close to that right now. So Real close. Madrid were very bad in in this match, and particularly the midfield, which is not something you expect from from Real Madrid given the the, the individuals they have in there. Um, so both teams normally set up in a four three three, but both teams opted for a fourth midfielder in this match, which was was an interesting wrinkle. So for Real Madrid. That player was Ferdi Valverde. They use him in that position a lot. And then Barcelona was this box midfield of Busquets, De Jong, Gavi and Pedri. And they clear, Barcelona clearly won that midfield battle. There was uh, there was a point in the second half where Barcelona were just popping passes around yeah. Real Madrid. And there was an element of, Taylor, you said, Spurs kind of just giving up. There was a point in this match where I thought, OK, Real Madrid have thrown the towel in here. And really the only players... Benzema was the only one it seemed like was was trying to make something happen. So yeah. this was an uncharacteristically poor Real Madrid performance. Barcelona were brilliant, and you see the the you see what they could be, but we we still don't see this on a, on a consistent basis from them. Even going back to the semi final against against Betis, where they they just about scraped through in penalties, and they they were. The, Bet- Betis gave Barcelona a, a, uh, loads more problems than Real Madrid did in this match. I, I only laugh at what you said, Graham, just because, uh, as is tradition, Real Madrid realized very late in this game, wait, is it is it a weekend? Oh, no. And then Kareem Benzema <laughs> scored because that's how they do. Yeah. That's how they do. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was it was poor from Real Madrid and poor from Xavi as well. Thumbs down to him for wearing a big winter coat when it's 16 degrees and <laughs> at 10 o'clock in Riyadh. Don't ever come to Scotland, Xavi. I'm not sure you'll cope. 16 degrees? I don't think you will. Can you do that in Fahrenheit Uh, for us? Sorry. Yeah, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but 16 degrees at 10 o'clock at night is very warm for Scotland. I say it's less than 70. It's like not subtropical, Graham. Uh, Did you see the big winter jacket he was wearing? (laughs) Fashion darling, look it up, okay? Sure. Yeah. Well, that wasn't that. Anyway. 60.8 degrees Fahrenheit. There you go. 60 degrees. I don't think you need a giant coat, but you know what? That can catch up on you. It can catch up on you. You can Uh get cold uh pretty fast. Yeah, yeah, you've got to watch out when the sun goes down. Um, it can get cold quickly. I've learned that. Anyway, <laughs> right. I've also learned that my new favourite retort is lame. Lame. I remember in an argument, that's just what I'm going to drop now. That was brilliant. Thank you. Um, one final game to talk about from this weekend. Big one in Serie A. Oh, before we get there, by the way, uh, talking of Italian things, uh, my daughter's birthday in a couple of weeks' time. We asked her this weekend which restaurant she'd like to go to. Anyone she wants to in Rome. Taylor, guess Donald's. which one she said. Uh, I don't even have a joke here because I feel like you brainwashed them so much that it was either Chili's or Olive Garden or Starbucks or was it Olive Garden? I, I hope it was at least vaguely Italian just to make Italy furious. There is no, Wagamamas. there's no Olive Garden. There's no Starbucks. Oh, there is a Starbucks actually. But there's no Chili's. Hard Rock Cafe, baby. <laughs> Woo! 
Uh, can they I, just I not see you went to Wagamama's as well? Can they just yeah, change that to Dad Rock Cafe, please? And then it will be a more appropriate title. Honestly, Taylor, this was unprompted. Uh, it was just a question of which restaurant like you like to go to. Unprompted? unprompted. What, yes. you know, how old is your daughter, Ryan? How old is she? Like 10? Old enough to know better. Old enough to know that she's had 10 plus years of brainwashing or whatever exactly. it is. Right. Unprompted? Just, absolutely yeah. not. Just because you've Stockholm Syndrome her into only knowing four restaurants and she chose <laughs> one of the four, it doesn't mean that that was her choice unprompted. Either way, a tear <laughs> rolled down my cheek, a tear of pride as she... As she uttered the words, hard rock cafe. (laughs) I mean, I get it. I get it. Credit to her. I like that she made a choice. That's pretty cool. I like that she knows what she wants. That's also cool. Ryan, way to raise your kids that they're making choices, even if those choices will lead to uh, intestinal distress down the road. <laughs> what a wonderful way of putting that. Let's uh, get to the game, uh, the Friday Night Lights at the Diego Maradona. Napoli 5, Juventus won a huge win for the Neapolitans yeah. here. Uh, Osiman and uh, Cavaradona, Joe, pretty much trading goals and trading assists with each other in this one. Uh, a pretty impressive performance from them, Joe. Thumbs up to Napoli, yay. Yeah, thumbs up to Napoli and thumbs up to their attack. You mentioned it. I think Osiman and, and Cavaradona are two of the most, maybe the most entertaining pairing to watch in soccer right now. If not, you know, the most, they're up there. They're one of the best tandems. Three goals between them in this game. Osimen's first goal is a rebound, uh, I believe from a Kavara shot. I don't remember for sure. The second goal is a header assisted by Kavaradana. And then Kavaradana's goal is a lovely finish with his right foot assisted by Osimen. So there was quite the link between those players in this game. Napoli and, and that attack specifically just do so many things well. They stretch the field they break in behind. They provide options for each other. They're moving all the time. Just a lovely team right now, headlined by two stars, really. And I would be surprised maybe if either one of those players was back next year. Certainly if Ozyman was back. Graham, you and I have talked a bunch about you know how perfect he would be for Manchester United. He's just a really good striker. I think all of the best teams in the world are going to be at least picking up the phone. They probably have already done that in this January window, but it just feels like the summer is so much more likely uh, it's kind of a shame that this Napoli team probably will be dismantled. The midfield, I've talked about before on this show, you know, in past editions of Weekend Review, how good they are and how you know maybe they'll get picked apart a little bit over time by other clubs from around Europe. But for now, I mean, just j- enjoying what we have with this Napoli team because they are so much fun. Yeah. Um, what do we think, Graham? Uh, can this Napoli team be caught? They are nine points ahead of Milan at the top of the table at the moment, 10 points ahead of Juve. It's surely there. Well, it is theirs to lose, but they're surely mm. not going to get caught, are they? Oh, I mean, if they keep this up, it's 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 done. They're they're not going not going to get caught. AC Milan uh, stuttering. Juventus. I mean, thumbs down to the narrative of Juventus being back. So before this match, they'd won eight in a row. They were up to second place. They'd kept three or four clean sheets in, in a row. And there was this idea that maybe they maybe they win this match and and you know the comeback is complete and they're back to being one of the best teams in, in Italy again. Um, Juventus are not back, uh, at least not the Juventus that wins soccer matches. If we're talking about the UV we saw at the start of the season, then yes, Juventus are back. But thumbs down to their defending in this in in this game, in particular to to Bremer who was atrocious all match. He just couldn't handle the number of Napoli players coming at him at, at speed and. Thumbs down to Juventus' defensive record, um, which was just obliterated. They'd conceded seven goals in 17 Serie A games this season before this match. Conceded five in just in just uh, one match. And listen to this for an, incre- an incredible stat that I couldn't quite believe. So this was the first time Juventus had conceded five goals in a single match, any match, any competitive match, 
since 1993 when Max Allegri actually scored against them for Pescara in 1993. They hadn't conceded five goals in a match since then. Quite remarkable. But anyway, Napoli did it. They could have scored more. The The fitness that they have is is just utterly remarkable. And that, that was one of the standout things from this match where they're 3-1 up, 4-1 up, and they are still going for Juventus, pressing them into submission and, and moving the ball so quickly. They they are just an incredible team at the moment. Max Allegri was playing in 93. I'd have believed you said 83, Graham, but no, no, I look, I look, he's 55. Okay, those numbers match up. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Good for him. Quite something, eh? Yeah, quite something. Taylor, anything more on this game? Any more thumbs you want to distribute over this weekend before we wrap this gosh darn thing up? Yeah, are you going to get the twisted mac chicken and cheese or are you going to go the Tupelo <laughs> chicken tenders? What's it going to be? Hard Rock Cafe is insanely expensive. I'm looking at this yeah. menu and it is nuts. Uh, yeah, it's the TCT. It's the Tupelo chicken always, Tay-Tay. It is always number one option. I hate that you have an acronym for that. Uh, uh-huh. I really, really enjoyed this result. Uh, it was sort of shocking. It was genuinely sort of jaw-dropping to see Juve taken apart as effectively as they were in that second half. Uh, but then my jaw was further dropped by the the uh, like the thing that's been doing the rounds on Twitter of the, the cappuccino maker putting down the, the score line into the, the uh, coffee drink so that you oh, get the beautiful good. graphic of Napoli 5, Juve 1. That was some lovely work by them, almost as lovely as Osimhen and Quarazkelia doing the things that they did in this game. Yeah. I actually went to a cafe this morning for my coffee in my latte macchiato. I said, can you put a Hard Rock Cafe logo in the top? <laughs> he just stared at me. <laughs> that, I believe all of that. That feels real. Yeah. Yeah. Anywho, that was the weekend. Thank you very much, listener, for joining us. Graham Ruthven, a pleasure as always having you in your pillow fort of recording dreams. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Joe Lowry, a pleasure as always, my good man. Right back at you, Ryan. And Taylor Rockwell. Thank you once again, sir. King Peach rides again. Banana berry colada for life, baby. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. I can't <laughs> wait for my daughter's birthday for that reason alone. Thank you very much, listener. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. Slash it.